0: Welcome, welcome to the Premier League Proven Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff, with my co-host and brother, Kevin. And today, we wanted to talk to you about a subject that is everyone's favorite thing to complain about in the entire world, uh, that is so fundamentally part of soccer that it's hard to imagine uh, what a perfectly refereed game would look like, but that is refereeing and VAR, and uh, we're going to call this VAR refereeing and taxes, because just like uh, death and taxes mistakes from the VAR, mistakes from the referee is pretty much inevitable. So I think uh, just to start it off, it's actually really interesting. and I'm trying to figure out, you know, why this might be, but the globalization of the game, just like if you think about what football, NFL football looked like in the years like 1990 to 2000 and before that, you could basically take guys' heads off. You know, throwing over the middle is not something that you did because basically You'd get your guy lit up, sent to the hospital, knocked out of the game with a concussion. Basketball—that's like the era of the bad boy Pistons, where you could basically do whatever you wanted to a guy um, once or twice a game. If it got a little bit of too too egregious, then uh, the other guy would just fight you, and you'd both get kicked out, and then you kind of keep moving on. So the same thing was absolutely true of soccer. Soccer has always had this yellow and red card system that's made it a lot easier than you know other games, basically to eject somebody. Um, where the penalty for ejection is a lot more serious in soccer than it is in NFL or basketball or any of these games where you basically can't get a replacement player on the field. Obviously, it's a huge detriment to the team to not only lose the player that's been ejected, but lose the ability to replace them. But soccer has gone the same way, where it used to be that you could basically, if you look back and watch some of those uh games where George Best or Maradona are playing like there's always these arguments about Messi and Maradona and I think if you took a guy today of the technical ability that they're taught to to kind of have from you know age seven and on the technique and technical ability of the players today is absolutely so much higher than it was 30 years ago but At the same time, are you sure that these guys uh, would survive? Uh, A, kicking around a leather ball that doesn't really, that's really heavy, gets waterlogged. And B, basically having no protection, guys just slide tackling, coming in, clearing you out, crunching you, doing whatever they basically wanted to. And the referee saying, eh, that's part of the game. So, I mean, this is something I think that has changed maybe around the time I really started watching and has now seeped into the game where. I think the game is a lot more focused on player safety and all of these things that have come in, I think, every sport uh,
1: around the world. I think you see it a lot with a generational gap, right? There, There's always, you know, back in my day, that was not a fowler. Back in my day, you know, men were men, quote unquote. And I think you said it right. I mean, player health is important. And watching good players do amazing things with the ball that I don't know, at least personally, that's the side of the beautiful game that I like. Yeah, I'd rather see that than some guy get two footed and have his legs snapped just because, you know, he uh, is the best player on the team. I mean, I think there's still some sports out there that kind of had this and maybe, you know, UFC or you know, any of these kind of combat sports have kind of maybe filled that niche. But I, I kind of personally like the finesse side of, of these games a little bit more. You're absolutely right. It's just really hard to compare players from each of these different eras because, you know, it's, it's a completely different game uh, from what it was and from what it is now.
0: And maybe it is just the money. Um, you know, the teams really don't want their guy that they're paying $50 million to for the season to be out for the year or longer or lose his career after they've committed an absurd amount of money to them and so protecting not only the players but protecting the players as assets for the owners and the people that are kind of safeguarding the game and trying to grow the game from a commercial marketing standpoint as well so all of that um, to me I guess that makes the most sense of uh, kind of a through line in all these sports but basically it used to be for the entire history of the game that if you you could do something to whatever you wanted to the opponent as long as the referee didn't see it. And they have a referee in the middle. And obviously, you guys all know this. There's the referee in the middle, and then there's the two side assistant referees, one on each side. So, three referees that really are kind of looking out for things. There's also a fourth referee that's mostly there in like an administrative role, isn't generally calling out stuff except for stuff that happens on the bench between the managers and things. But it used to be, and when I was watching, uh, you know, 20 years ago, you could elbow guys in the face. You could. Do all kinds of crazy stuff to them as long as you knew that the referee wasn't looking. And they were going to call you out on uh, the post-game shows and the post-game analysis and stuff. But the
1: referee was never going to, if
0: if the referee has his back turn, you elbow a guy in the face, he's not going to send you off.
1: Can you imagine a world where Luis Suarez tries to bite somebody with VAR? Like how hilarious of a video review that would be. It's like, yeah, man, like we just saw you from six different angles biting a guy. You know, it, it's, it would just be absurd right now to do. Check complete.
0: <laughs> Check complete. It, it is really interesting because VAR, so Video Assistant Refereeing, so for anybody that's not, doesn't really quite understand how that's been implemented, it's essentially soccer's version of replay in the NFL, in basketball, in tennis, uh, every sport has basically gone towards some form of replay. Soccer uses that, one, for goal line technology to detect if the entire ball has gone over the line to count as a full goal scored, uh, that's been in play for you know many years now. VAR, on the other hand, is somebody watching the game from a booth and or from somewhere else, replaying all the things and trying to decide when the main referee on the field has made a clear and obvious decision with regards to red cards, fouls that have prevented goals from being scored, reasons why a goal should be ruled out and really looking at offsides.
1: It's a really a relatively new addition to the game. I think it's only over the last few years, and it's still having its growing pains. If you do watch the Premier League, I mean, you'll hear the controversy two weeks ago from the Liverpool Tottenham game, where it was an absolute egregious error. Which is why were are saying check complete? Basically, the video assisted referees, and so they messed the verbiage up by saying check complete. The guy was obviously onside; obviously, should have stayed as a goal. Um, And it was almost too obvious where uh, the video assisted referee said check complete and assume that everybody knew what he would say. And then you hear this panic in all of their voices uh, when they restart the game. And there's basically their hands are tied because once the game has restarted after a video assisted referee review, nothing can be done. So it was an absolute calamity, an absolute disaster.
0: Well, it is interesting because one in the NFL, I think I'm pretty sure that there's some byline that basically says the NFL referee can do whatever the hell they want if they think something is like affecting the integrity of the game somebody can correct me if i'm wrong but basically they can change the results of things based on whether or not it should have happened and so you can kind of go back and and re-referee things and look at things and if some something like this were to happen in the nfl i think they could go back and change it but soccer has clearly defined rules that are international across basically every league and it says that uh once you've kind of restarted the game you can't go back and and look at things that have already happened in the past and yeah the thing with the with the liverpool tottenham game i think this is something that you see in like every industry this is a like checklist manifesto something they do in medicine it's the airplane stuff that tries to prevent all the airplane crashes it's double communication feedback communication where you repeat back the the things that uh have been said to you because anytime you're starting to make assumptions about what the other side is done or doing or what they understand you always run into problems so I you know people are in an uproar about this Um, this is something that I think is very fixable and to me is not really a huge problem because I think this is something that you'll just create a better process and, and and go and try to fix that all this stuff from Klopp trying to like replay the game is just like hilariously stupid I mean there's so many bad decisions every week that if you're like like I can't believe he even said that to be honest because there's bad decisions every week and also this decision happened in like the 30th minute like you still have time to go win the game like every team everywhere has always had bad decisions against them and that's really why I want to like what do you why do you think like a lot of these and I don't want to say like the boomers but it's almost a little bit like that who grew up without VAR for their entire lives. Why do you think that people don't really... Like, what is the
1: pushback to VAR? It's weird because sometimes there's like two sides of the pushback, which I think are kind of conflicting ideologies. Or some people are saying it's taking too long. where they're like, it's killing the game. It takes way too long where, you know, soccer is supposed to be a fluid game. It's supposed to be a running clock. It's supposed to be all, you know, everything is flowing. And they think it kind of takes away a little bit of the, that integrity of the game because you're like, well, now I have to sit around it and wait for, you know, three or four minutes for potentially a decision to be made. But on the flip side, it's a lot of those same people are complaining about decisions like this, right, where it's like, wow, we made the wrong decision. I can't believe VAR, you know, did it. Well, it's it's kind of hard to have it both ways where you are. Not taking too much time to make the decisions, but also making sure that you make the right decisions. So I think it's one of, one piece of it. I think the other is some people complain about taking the passion out of it. I, I think it's a little bit of it. When guys score a goal, there's a little bit of you know celebration, obviously immediately, but there's a little bit of that waiting when everybody's kind of looking to that center ref, or you see a you know a VAR pending decision. It kinda takes a, a little bit away from that immediate, you know, emotional, you know, arms flailing, people cheering, you know, beer spilling everywhere. Because you never know when a goal might be taken back. I personally don't think those are really good reasons to take away. I'd rather have, you know, more correct decisions for at least decision that will impact the game. But I think that's a little bit why, yeah, you know, some some folks, especially maybe an older generation that didn't grow up with it, might have the issues with it.
0: Yeah, I think the celebration thing is something that people really Uh, take a lot of offense to I think the like you said soccer is just such a emotional game it's such it's always had a continuous flow to it and one of the probably the single best moment in the entire sport is when your team scores a goal right and just the unbridled joy that comes with that that may not happen in a game I think that's the difference between soccer and other sports is that it happens so rarely that those are such huge moments. You lose your mind. The crowd goes crazy. And it used to be you just kind of looked over to the off to the linemen and saw see if the flag was up. You know, that and that takes about one second, right? The flag is going to come up or it's not. And you take so you'd always see guys score. They take a they do a sideways glance down the line, make sure they're not offsides. And if they're not offsides, everybody just goes nuts. The problem is now is that especially for a lot of these goals, you celebrate, but there's always that kind of thing, especially if it was borderline in the back of your mind, where you're not quite sure if that's going to be called back or not. And it often is, you actually see quite a few goals that are called back. In large part, I think, because the linesmen are trained to on borderline calls just let it play out. Uh they don't want to accidentally call offsides on something that was not offsides and basically prevent a goal scoring opportunity from happening. So you're getting a lot of these situations that turn into goals that are then call it back, and I think people think that that takes away from the spirit of the game. To me, that's not necessarily worth the price
1: of getting things wrong. I think you made a good point about linesmen not wanting to raise their flags just, so, just in case you know, they're wrong. But there are times where it is so obvious that a player is offsides and they don't raise their flag. I'm worried, and I'm waiting for the day for an injury to happen on one of these plays where it's obviously offsides almost both teams know it's offsides but they have to kind of play through it and then there's going to be a coming together of two players and next thing you know an attacker is absolutely clattered into because you know i I hate to say it's almost like a free play but in a way it's always a free player for for a defender to really clean out a, a striker or an attacker going at the goal
0: yeah and it always takes some type of disaster to to lead to things these kind of fringe cases that end up changing but just to kind of To get us to where we are, I think the game, it used to be really hard to get a foul call. You'd have to get absolutely annihilated. And when people that don't watch a lot of soccer, they think about soccer, they think about the word diving, right? Uh, Flopping in basketball, diving in soccer. And part of the reason diving came into existence is because as the game became more restrictive on what you're allowed to do to the opponent, in other words, the bar for having a foul is a lot lower players realize that going down easier is going to be something that's rewarded by the referees and what diving is yes a problem with the players wanting to con the referees but it's really a problem with the referees only reacting and giving fouls for people who dive referees are and this is one of the things that i really hate about how the game is refereed is that referees use the reaction and almost, I think, because it's such a hard game, it's so fast, there's only one of them, they're supposed to cover the entire pitch. You, They use a lot of, what is something supposed to look like? I could tell you just from what it looks like on the broadcast view, 99% of the time, what is and what isn't going to be a foul in the minds of a ref, because there are certain kind of scripted plays almost, where if you go down in a certain way in the right position with the guy coming at you from the right angle, from behind, from the side you are going to get a foul call if you just fall because the referees are kind of have trained themselves to reward something that looks like a foul that has been a foul you know a thousand other times when they've refereed games and players have kind of responded to that and understand that referees look at the game like that and when something when if you get fouled and kicked and it doesn't quite fit that that script that uh for what's quote unquote supposed a foul is supposed to look like and you don't go down, the referee just doesn't give it. They just let they just let the game play on. So what is a player supposed to do? Am I supposed to stand there, get fouled, not react to it, and basically be disadvantaged because the players just, you know, grabbed me, held me, uh done whatever and uh created an advantage for himself? Or am I supposed to just fall down, tell the referee, hey look, this guy actually got me in some way and that should have been a foul and that's the only time they reward it so to me diving is in large part a a symptom of how the game is refereed and if you want to get rid of it i think you'd have to add var into it or just add post-match bans that's the easiest thing you just basically say you know you don't even have to do it in the game but if if a, if a player dives some panel reviews the game later that week and says that was a dive the players just suspended for the next game it
1: would be cut out in a second yeah, that's I mean, it's such a good point because, I mean, like you said, scoring is so rare in the game. I'm going to try to make the referee make a decision, right? If I stay up, he's not going to make that call. But if I go down, even if there's a 25% chance that I'm going to get a penalty or a 25% chance that I get a free kick in a dangerous area, that is worth it every single time. So you're right. And I think it's something that the league does see. I think they wrestle with it, but I, I just I don't know. It's not it's one not of the focuses for, for this year, right? I think the focus for this year is players kind of uh, accosting and harassing referees for making decisions and time-wasting, which I think is, you know, kind of one of the other big problems, but I, I agree with you. I think diving and simulation is probably one of the biggest issues that are part of the game.
0: So let's talk about, because they, they do have changed, they changed the focus, and I think one thing that does plague, and we could talk a little bit about this later, but handballs, they, you know, things like that, they change the rule every year. Literally every single year, the rule for a handball changes. It's almost like the catch in uh in nfl football where they change what is and is a catch especially for you know from like 2005 to 2020 they changed the what the definition of a catch was like five times and every single year they changed the definition of a handball but the thing that uh is really interesting to me that you mentioned there is wait time wasting has always been such a big part of the game if you look at studies. The ball's really only in play about, and it depends on the league, and it's interesting which leagues have more and less of the ball in play. I think Italy is the lowest, but the Premier League, I think, is somewhere around 63 minutes of actual in-game time. And right, it's a 90-minute game plus extra time, which is classically about three minutes per half. That's like kind of your standard is maybe a one minute and a half for the first half and then three minutes for the second half. The actual time on game clock is about 94 minutes in classic game of soccer, I'd say. In the World Cup, you saw, and I love this. A ton of people hated it, um, but I I really enjoyed the idea of actually adding the extra time because the most classic thing that happens in a big European soccer uh, match, like something big, Champions League game, is that, or if especially international soccer in the World Cup, your team goes up one nothing, and you shut you shut it down and you defend. You pray that a ball doesn't just fall to their striker in the box and you just try to close the game up. You pre- prevent any passing lanes and you de- you basically say, can you guys score against us? It's hard to score in this game. Um, you know, do your best. And it, it closes up the, the game and leads to, I think, for me, less exciting games. And the away goals rule in the Champions League was kind of brought in to fight against that. They've scrapped that now. Um, so there is no more away goals rule in the Champions League. But... At the end of the day, I like seeing that time added on at the end because to me, wasting time, which is a classic Mourinho thing, classic other managers, uh, you know, especially the smaller managers, I, I, the one thing I would say is that it does really benefit the big clubs. That's probably the biggest negative about it is that when these teams are hanging on um, in the last uh, few minutes when they've tied, let's say, a, you know, Bournemouth has a 1-1 draw in the 91st minute with Man City. And now they put up seven minutes on the uh, board or 12 minutes on the board. Like just the demoralization factor there is huge. And it it basically ends up, when you get that close, it's impossible psychologically to kind of keep pushing. Uh, So they end up, all those teams basically, teams that are big underdogs, just kind of come into their shell and say, there's only a couple minutes left, try to score against us. And when you've changed that, kind of mentality from 3 minutes to 9 minutes you're going to start seeing a lot more winning goals in the 90 plus 5 90 plus 8 90 plus 10 which i think we've already seen this year because you're adding on that extra time
1: yeah i think it has to do with a lot of the human psyche right if you convince yourself that i just have to make it to the 90th minute or the 93rd minute it's you know it's it's doable right you can hang on for, for that little last gasp that last push make that last run track that last man But yeah, if you have to add 10 full minutes, I mean, that just has to shatter you as a team. So I think a lot of
0: people that are kind of traditionalist, purists look at the AR as just some kind of encroachment into the game as something that just is not needed really or something that, you know, they've been playing this game for 150 years. It's obviously a major change in the way the game is played, especially the flow of the game. Uh, What I will say is, I can't really ever see it going back. Um, The amount of errors that happened prior to VAR um, were terrible. I mean, you'd have literal leagues, major title game deciders, relegation, decided on offsides that were terrible, questionable at best. You'd have people elbowing other guys in the face, making horrible tackles, and the referee just not giving red cards and basically getting away with it goals would go you know the famous thing that i think triggered a lot of this stuff uh, was in a world cup when england clearly scored a goal against germany the ball was over the line by like like a foot at least and the referee just didn't see it and didn't call it and that literally changes games changes lives changes careers changes everything and in this kind of modern era of we have the technology i don't see how you can to me, it doesn't make any sense that you wouldn't use this technology. Um, even with the caveat that yes, it's flawed. Yes. It's run by the same referees that were making the mistakes in the first place. And you gotta try to figure out the best way to do that. And every single year, I think it, hopefully they're making progress towards working out the kinks. I do think there's some subset of people that, uh, ju- kind of want to see it fail. Um, and I think a lot of the people in uh, soccer media in Britain kind of want to see it fail. A lot of the ex players, and so they talk up the negative parts of VAR so much. It's also just one of those things where soccer discourse is actually very difficult to do post match um, because it's just such a fluid game that pretty much the the th- major thing that people have always discussed in soccer games is referee decisions. It's like the one thing that join like joins every single person that watches this sport together is just complaining about the referees and complaining about VAR is just
1: uh, the new age way of doing that. Always give an opinion as a pundit to, to giving on, on a decision. But I think, you know, at least for me, two things I think would vastly improve VAR from at least my perspective is, one, kind of forcing what gets done in NFL football and how I understand, I think, rugby as well, where they kind of make the official explain the call on the field because a lot of times it gets a little bit confusing of what exactly they're checking or how they came to that decision. I think it really helps just, uh, I don't know if they need to be mic'd up or just a quick explanation to say, hey, this is what we were looking at. This is why I called it. This is why it was, uh, you know, an error and why we went the other way. I think that would go a long way as far as, you know, helping fans understand what's going on.
0: Yeah. And I think in every league, there's this kind of the referees associations and unions and stuff really want to protect the referees and basically never want to open them up to criticism, which I think is kind of the wrong way of doing it because like you said, it, it kind of makes it the less transparent you are, the more that people project either corruption or incompetence or any of these things onto people um, and onto the referees. And I think all of that is just kind of bad for the game and kind of can be bad for the integrity of the game as well.
1: Yeah. Another thing that I would like to see is maybe a little bit more of a margin of error. I think it's really hard when you see them drawing these like pixelated lines and they're all, you know, the cameras are obviously not exactly flush with, you know, wherever the last or second-to-last defender was. And so it's always at an angle. It's always tell hard to tell uh, from a still shot when the ball actually left someone's foot. So I think having a little bit of margin of error would help a lot with offside calls. I think, was it the Dutch League has some sort of a much larger margin of error? It's, you know, some... I forget what it is, if it's like six inches or something like that. If it's basically close enough where you, you can't tell with the pixelated lines, they basically say, okay, he's onside.
0: Which I think is a, probably a good thing and interesting thing to do. But when you, there's always going to be a dividing line. So if you make it six inches, then... It's offsides and just six inches plus that extra millimeter. You're still going to get people complaining, well, it's just over six inches. And is it just over six inches based on where he played the ball from? So you're just moving the line. Why not stop at six feet? Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs)
0: But it does make kind of sense that, you know, if you put it to six inches, then it then you're basically saying like, you know, he was obviously behind the, you know, even with the last defender or better. So you're not going to get those ones where it's very close to them being you know offsides technically by the rule book so i think the offsides i think in the world cup they did automated offsides which i actually think will help a lot because offsides is the main thing that i think bar is used for and having that automated by the computer is gonna hopefully be something that's really helpful as we saw with the audio that the premier league released they spend a lot of time drawing lines trying to figure things out from the booth. And like you said, it can be very inaccurate. And so if you can kind of automate that and make it standardized in some way, that I think will hasten the
1: offside's reviews and hopefully make them more standardized. I think in the modern era, we've moved to a place where player safety is definitely more prioritized than ever has been, which is absolutely a great thing. I think just like in the NFL, there has been a lot of focus on head injuries specifically, uh, whether they're concussions, CTEs, however you really want to call them. Probably before three or four years ago, there really wasn't any kind of per- concussion protocol or any kind of stoppages for head injuries. Uh, I think famously, in my mind, I can remember a game where Hugo Aris basically takes a cra- crushing blow to the head, who, who's a goalie, and he comes back out and obviously does not look okay to play the game. Uh, famously, Liverpool... Had a goalkeeper in the Champions League final who took a ridiculously hard shot to the face in a collision, and then comes back on and continues to play the game out, and actually fumbles, you know, a save that he normally would be able to make. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, hindsight look back and say, yeah, that was likely due to a concussion uh, or a CTE, and it's not only bad for the team, but more importantly, it's bad for player safety. So there are now substitutions that are allowed for if players do basically a free substitution if players do have head injuries but it does get abused a little bit from players going down and holding their faces because it basically just like we were talking about before with if you're in the box and you go down it kind of makes the referee make a decision if you go down and hold your face after a collision very often VAR will take a, a little bit deeper look at that incident. Referees will stop the game, which always gives them more of a chance to you know, potentially make a call. And obviously, referees are humans. As a human, you are influenced by someone who is going down and holding their face. You, you, you see it, and you're probably more likely to make a call. So you'll definitely see a lot of times where guys kind of get caught in the face, a elbow here or there, just... Glances off them or barely touches them, and they'll go down. As they're clutching their face. Uh, it's really unfortunate that players kind of take advantage of that. Where it's a it's a regulation to kind of protect them, but I mean I get it. If like we talked about with the time wasting, if players aren't punished for it and if referees aren't willing to give you know yellow cards, it's going to probably continue to happen. And you know it's a slippery slope to kind of not call that. And one interesting thing that
0: i think has always been around but has significantly increased in frequency as the game has become more min maxi uh for all of you uh, online video game aficionados out there um everything going to the everything i think uh that is competitive these days is trending in the direction of finding every single little advantage that you can possibly get and a huge advantage in the game is actually tactical fouls so in soccer, the they don't really call them turnovers like you'd call them in like football or basketball. That term is somewhat used. It's kind of pressing and, and uh basically winning the ball higher up the field. So if you can basically get the ball off of your opponents in their half or at least in the midfield, the you are much more likely to score from that in the next like 15, 20 seconds from that trans- piece of transition play than you are just passing it around the back, moving it up through your midfield and up to it, up to the top because the defense is... There's no longer a good connection usually between the midfield and the defenders, uh, and you can just sprint at their defenders, you know, three on four or two on four, and oftentimes that's enough to really create a good chance. And so teams have become wary of this, especially the really high possession teams. So teams like Manchester City, teams like Arsenal, teams like Barcelona, these are teams they are most susceptible to these transition moments because they have the ball so much and they spend so much time high up the field with all of their defenders all of their attacking players when they lose it even if those opportunities are rare those are the times where they're really going to have a soft underbelly really going to give up the best chances that they're going to give up in the game and so tactical fouling is essentially just fouling somebody intentionally when, they're, when you're behind them uh, or side to side, you know they're kind of ahead of you. Um, you know you have no chance of getting the ball. You know that they're about to go create a big chance, but you foul them before that chance develops. Obviously, you don't really want to foul somebody right as they're about to shoot on goal. But if you can foul the person that's going to make the pass to get it to the guy who's going to shoot on goal, then you can basically snuff out an attack before it ever happens and because it's not an obvious goal scoring opportunity denying an obvious goal scoring opportunity the referee will give you a yellow card and yes you will get a yellow card for this almost always you see it probably three times four times in almost every premier league game these tactical fouls where a guy just grabs some guy's shirt grabs his arm it's hilarious sometimes they'll literally like hold on to their shirt as they're like trying to run away it's like the it's like the guys trying to do like wind sprints with the with the resistance band um, and they'll like rip off the shirt and like guys will just be like grabbing at guy's legs if they like fell to the ground and you're just going to get a yellow card but a yellow card is meaningless essentially unless you get a second um, there is no the only thing a yellow card does especially towards the end of the game is basically mean that you can't do another yellow card offense really in the game again and if that if you were to if some similar situation was to happen again you couldn't grab them, but really it's a free hit. Uh, there is almost no downside to getting yellow cards. It is a huge advantage that if you want to be at the top level, you have to be actually really good at taking tactical fouls. And the best teams in
1: the world are really good at utilizing the tactical foul. It's so frustrating for a team, especially if you're out matched and you're playing someone like a city, where all you're doing is you're waiting for these transition pieces, right? You're looking for one or two of these counterattacks in an entire game and you're you're your fingers crossed that you're gonna take that opportunity. And okay, so my one chance I have at it and now instead of having a, a good chance on goal, I have a free kick at midfield. So yeah, like exactly like you said, Pep is famous for drilling that into his players and they do it do it so so well uh to make sure that they take those tactical fouls and snuff out the counterattack but kind of before it gets started.
0: Yeah, and it's one of those things where you do, I almost want it legislated out of the game in some way or at least make it more of an interesting decision about whether it's worth it to take or not. Because honestly, those transition moments are probably the most exciting part of the game. Um, you know, turning your, turning the ball over in somebody's opponent's half and going after their goal, like that is that gets everyone on their feet. That is super exciting times and those moments get cut out they basically get snuffed out before they ever get to be even a, a chance. And I hate that it's become so common. I don't think this is an opinion that's really thought of or shared by most of the, the soccer watching community, but um, it's something that I've always thought needed to be looked at. Another thing is, I. And this is definitely not something I think people are interested in, but the, I think penalties are far too much of a, uh, a benefit. Uh, you can get, you know, some ticky tack foul and you're just like out on the side of the, the penalty box. And for some reason you get like a, an XG shot, but so like a goal, the expected goals of taking a penalty is like, you're going to score at like 85% of the time. And so in a game that might only have two or three goals, that's obviously a huge, huge swing. So that we could say that for another time. Uh, save that for a rainy day, but tactical foul and the penalty, basically the awarding of penalties and how frequent that's become in the modern game, especially with VAR, as I think another reason why people don't like VARs, because I think we're seeing more penalties. I I'd want to look at the data on that. Um, I don't know that offhand, but you're seeing and penalties are not really the most exciting thing in the world.
1: Yeah, they're boring. So, is there anything else that you? would want to have changed about VAR.
0: It'd be interesting to standardize it in a way. So, you know, in the NFL or something, they often are, or in the NBA, they're often like, we'll send it to New York or we'll send it to Secaucus, New Jersey, where there's a centralized VAR team there, basic, or not VAR, but reviewing team where they look at these penalties and look at these kind of strange and special circumstances and rule from an official NBA or NFL standpoint, rather than just having you know, random F- referee X in in the VAR booth this week, having that more standardized process, I think coming from a central location, having Howard Webb or whatever do it would at least give it some consistency. I do think that's the hard thing about soccer is like because it's such a fluid game, every single foul looks so much different than every other one basically that it's really hard to create like ironclad rules. And when you have something like VAR we accept that it's hard for a referee to make a mistake because it's such a fast game. They saw it in real time, which could flash by in an instant. Um, they may not have gotten the best view of it. People are, I think, much less forgiving of VAR when they're taking their time looking through a bunch of really slow replays. They're much It's much less forgiving to accept that somebody could still come to the wrong decision, in some cases a very wrong decision, when they've had all that time to review it and and look at things and VAR does definitely come to the wrong decision sometimes and sometimes you are left shaking your head and it's almost like are the referees like literally sabotaging VAR like do they not like this like job security uh, because they do make crazy decisions sometimes and so I think just having somebody taking it out of the taking it less of a feudal system and centralizing it in terms of having the same kind of people over and over again making those decisions I think would give it some consistency that it's
1: lack. Yeah, seeing stuff in slow motion or freeze frames definitely can be a lot different than seeing it in real time. You shouldn't skew it too much, in my opinion. You're right, like, the game is happening in real time. You shouldn't be able to pause things and be like, well, wow, that looks like a leg breaker in a slow motion. But in real life, you know, his foot just skimmed off the top of the ball. So, you know, there's nothing he could really do about it. But I think something really interesting about soccer is you really start to learn the referees' names, right? There's kind of just a list of usual suspects, and each of these referees kind of has their own spin on it, or you're quickly able to kind of see trend lines or stereotypical calls that they're making or that they get known for. And this happens a lot of times where people start saying, like, yeah, this certain ref favors this team or this certain ref kind of hates this team. And and yeah, I don't really... Believe in those kind of conspiracy tinfoil kind of hats. But you, you do see kind of trend lines. Like, you know, for example, Michael Oliver, absolutely famous for loving to give a red card. And sometimes when you're kind of looking at the game or the match sheet and you, you see the ref out there, you can almost give yourself a, a, a groan or be like, oh man, this is going to, this might be a rough game. Or, you know, really hope the players are kind of on their toes today because uh, yeah, this guy loves nothing more than to book players or give a penalty. So I think it's a little bit interesting because after watching a season or two, you'll start realizing and recognizing names. So I think that wraps it up for this episode, talking about VAR, referees, and what are called, you know, a lot of times the laws of the game. Um, Hope you kind of enjoyed this episode and mixing it up a little bit with talking about different teams you should like and kind of switching in a few episodes, just more on the regular parts of watching the league. Uh, As always, please feel free to reach out to us on any kind of socials. We're always happy to interact and answer any questions we can or maybe talk about show topics that you have that might be interesting. So thanks again for listening, and we hope to have you listen next time.